Hello, everyone. Welcome to the, the This is Clinical Engineering podcast, a conversational space to talk about clinical engineering, to deconstruct the professional profile of clinical engineers, and to identify key skills that any clinical engineering professional should adopt in order to produce the best result possible. My name is Luis, and I will be your host for today. Before we begin, it's very important that you consider this podcast as a space for opinion based on the experiences of our invitees. For the same reason, this podcast does not intend to represent any opinion of groups, companies, and or institutions that our invitees relate to. What we intend to do here is to share experiences and good practices of skilled professionals to help our CE colleagues grow and to learn from others. And speaking of clinical engineers, let me introduce you to today's invite. Rosana is a highly experienced clinical engineer who is a senior advisor at the World Health Organization Collaborating Center for Health Technology Management at the University of Vermont at the USA. She's also a collaborator of the IFMBE Clinical Engineering Division. She's a member of the American Clinical Engineering College in the US, member of Health Technology Assessment Network of the Americas, Red ETSA, at Pan American Health Organization at Washington DC in the US, and she's a clinical engineering head of biomedical engineering undergraduate program at the Peruvian University, Cayetano Heredia. Without any further ado, Rosana, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you, um, Luis, for this uh, kind invitation to discuss and exchange about interesting topics, not just for the profession, but uh, for the main objectives of clinical engineering around the world. Thank you. Very good, Rosana. I imagine that you're located right now in Lima, Peru, or in another city in Peru? Right. Lima, the capital of Peru. Excellent. So how are things going on? Uh, how are things in, uh, in Peru and in Lima? How are you guys doing with uh, all of this COVID situation that's really, really tragic uh, for a lot of people and, and really scary at the same time? How are you guys doing? Uh, things are not easy. Um, although the government started with a very nice approach, uh, managing the lockdown to all the country, um, things were not aligned with the other actions that were very urgent at that moment. Uh, actions regarding logistics, uh, equipment, and human resources management. So the lockdown didn't work as expected as these actions were not implemented, neither on time or neither with effectiveness. The result now is after Brazil, I believe, Peru is the second uh, country with a high number of uh, confirmed cases. Other second bad result is the economy, which was one of the best in the region, is really um, affected negatively by the uh, lockdown and the logic uh, frustration from the people who doesn't really observe good changes achieved. Uh, finally, um, 
it is probably that uh, the quarantine will keep until the end of the year with the saying this, uh, we're not sure, again, if the situation will be really, uh, will be supported effectively by the government, Ministry of Health mainly, uh, through the actions that uh, public health requires. And when I say public health, I am making a mistake because it's also private side, not both of them. Both sectors are doing, we call it sectors in Peru, the best, but it's not enough if you are talking about a disruptive market, disorganized system, and certainly uh, um, an environment uh, characterized by a lot well, uh, by, by, by not uh, having a strategic approach, neither a planning approach, you see? Mm -hmm. first, That's the situation. Nobody, uh, unfortunately, could prepare us enough for a pandemic. So a big, big hug and uh, thank you to all of the healthcare uh, professionals that are helping us during this pandemic. And that includes um, medical doctors, nurses, uh, emergency uh, professionals, uh, as well as uh, the, the proper people that work inside of the hospital from the administration to any other professional that works there. A big, big help and uh, God may be with you guys. Um, but also it includes a profile that we wanna address today, Rosana, which is the clinical engineers. So my first question to you is, is a question that I love to ask any person, any professional that, um, you know, joins us at this at this uh, clinical engineering podcast, and that question may be a little trivial, a little tricky for many people. As as uh, well, many organizations have been trying to answer this question, and I want I want to I want to I want to ask you this as a as a personal and very very meaningful question, as as I know you're really really passionate with, with your profession. So for you, Rosana, what is clinical engineering? If Rosana Rivas, as a professional, could answer this to a wider public that hopefully will get, um, you know, as wide as possible with this uh, podcast. Uh, what would it be? What is clinical engineering? What are the main objectives, activities, and aspiration for someone who practices clinical engineering in any country? Let me answer your question in a, in a practical way, which means... Uh, Clinical engineer should be able to not just manage, but know uh, very well health technologies. Uh, and of course, this is a subject which changes a lot regarding the context of the, of the country. You see, we are talking about essential technologies, priority technologies, or other ones. Uh, but a clinical engineer should manage the knowledge, the trends, characteristics, exceptions even regarding health technologies. That's for me the first. The second, the second is be able to manage the cost uh, numbers, uh, not just regarding prices, acquisition, but uh, also um, the transfer of technology in different uh, procedures. 
he or she should be able to understand the different challenges that management of amounts of uh, uh, even uh, future behavior of these amounts is. This is not easy, but it's also a fact uh, that is expected from a clinical engineer. Um, in a third, in a third place, I will say, uh, despite some other colleagues, innovation, not just innovation regarding the patents or transfer of knowledge, transfer of technology, but innovation in the way to, to, to think, to make in your mind new ways to understand to have the not just the solution because perhaps you are not able to have the solution in the beginning but to have the best approach to the problem that is something that makes really a nice starting point to any kind of solution you have you, you may need to, to provide so being innovative have an innovation uh, in not just in your brain but in your blood means Again, you know your career, you know what are the core aspects of your profession, you know your context, and also, Luis, very important, you also know the global trends. Because if you live in Mexico, or you live in China, or you live in Peru, uh, that's not a reason for you to don't be informed about what are the challenges in the global arena, and what are the, the trends and best lessons, and that information those exchanges that research is absolutely golden for you to make an innovative approach and be able to give solutions as well many people say that a clinical engineer and i mean in mexico we call them biomedical engineers um you know somebody related to maintenance I would like to ask you, uh, is, is this the same case in Peru? And if it is, um, how are you guys changing the message to decision makers? Because I remember when I was studying in college, you know, I had my, uh, you know, my speech, a very, very prepared speech to address what does a clinical engineer do or, or a biomedical engineer does uh, for that fact. So do you guys have the same uh, challenge and if so, uh, what is Rosanna doing to change the message of maybe healthcare directors or or the wider public? That is a good question and, and again I, I'm going back to what we have already uh, discussed uh, some minutes ago. Having a global approach and making comparison analysis about what is going on with the profession makes you able to uh, not just do a good assessment or a more and more in uh, high quality assessment, uh, but also to provide better interventions in the career, in the profession. And I will say the following: uh, clinical engineering in Peru is a major uh, corresponding to the career biomedical engineering, which means you study biomedical engineering as the career and then at the at the middle you start to find as a student what are your uh, 
preferences in the in the profession you could be a biome biomechanical you could choose a, a tissue you could choose a signal and images or you could choose uh, clinical engineering uh, nevertheless uh, the career the undergraduate career in peru is very young it doesn't mean biomedical engineering have not existed before it did but for the master program we were teaching the master program since a number of years but for adults and a master degree is not the same as following a career so if you ask what was the market before the career appeared well the market it was not exactly for biomedical engineers neither for clinical engineers uh, engineers were inside of a private organization or public health organizations as engineers whether industrial whether electronics whether biomechanic engineers uh, which ha who has knowledge and some students studies whether in the master or a diploma inside or outside of the country so that was the approach uh, regarding clinic engineers inside of health organizations once the career when we created the career uh, in 2017, um, we stated these majors, the market is more and more excited, waiting for them, uh, for the students to finish. They will finish in the next two and a half years, Luis. But they are already being trained and guided and coached, coached uh, from a perspective not just to be maintenance experts, equipment experts, but have the approach of innovation, strategic approach, business planning, some policies and regulations, more regulations than policies, but also policies, why not? So this is ongoing, uh, talking about the profession uh, official, not official, but uh, exact profession of clinical engineers. Before that, we have a number very courageous and, and valuable engineers who are already working in the Ministry of Health, Social Security System, and also in the private sector. Uh, some of them uh, with the studies in, in US and other countries, uh, another with the expertise in the, in the site, you see? So this is the situation. And uh, for them, of course, to be able to have a, a access to manage, managerial or uh, high direction levels is not easy. Some of them, they are already, but you know, um, as a scientific and as an engineer, you are not able, you have no permission to talk about minorities. You have to talk from the average approach. In average, in Peru, we still don't have a number, representative number of engineers uh, having access to the high level positions. Not yet, it's ongoing. It, there are some of them, but they are not a number that may us say 
wow, this is like China, no, like, like Korea or the young US, no. Uh, talking about my role here, I have the privilege to be trained and have studies abroad, Peru. I was in, in France, I studied in France, I studied in US, I have courses in Canada, I have exchanges with Asia, not, not with China, neither with uh, Japan, Japan, but with Korea. And that was amazing. I, I didn't stay just, I, didn't, I wasn't quiet just uh, with take a, taking a course or uh, attend, uh, attending uh, a, a workshop. I studied a lot. I kept the relationships. I feed the bridge with exchanges permanent. So I learn, and as, as you said correctly, I, am a, I have a passion with my career and I have a very strong connection with my country. Each time, each year was more and more difficult for me to accept that, that the path is different than my dear colleagues of Mexico, US, uh, Chile, Argentina, they have more and more, uh, not, not just number, but uh, outcomes that I would like much to have in Peru. But each country makes his story. In WHO, the work forum, in the first global forum uh, in WHO, uh, we presented at that moment um, the metaphor of the, of the frog, the leapfrogging uh, strategy. You are like a little frog, uh, but a smart one. You are not allowed to make the same mistakes, but to learn from other else's mistakes. I am talking about clinical engineers, best practices, and your next jump, your next leap will be smart because you will take your own path, avoiding mistakes that, that other colleagues did. That's what you have, and that's what uh, we are making here, mainly my arena in public sector. Mm -hmm. Okay, Rosana, and <clears throat> speaking of experience, uh, which you've uh, uh, shared with us, thank you very much. Um, what would you consider are the most relevant skills that somebody that is um, practicing clinical engineering must acquire to practice this profession and why? Okay. Um, both biomedical and clinical engineering. Whether you like biomedical, uh, clinical engineering uh, as your major, you have, you should, you need knowledge, contents of biomedical engineering in, in the big picture. And then, okay, clinical engineering a lot. Um, second, innovation. Health technology innovation, innovation based uh, or inno innovative project based in biomedical engineering. Uh, a strategic, a strategic, not just for a strategic uh, businesses, but just, but also 
being able to develop a strategic components of a project, of a health technology project. Uh, again, business and innovative approach, ethics, that is absolutely re required, Luis, not just for developed countries, but not developed countries as well. We are talking about market, we are talking about businesses, we are talking about uh, diverse interest in the game. So ethics for clinical engineering practice is a must. Uh, we have nice discussions about it in Colombia uh, with several colleagues of international colleagues uh, in this amazing Colsic. Uh, ah, <laughs> Beatriz Galeano will kill me. Colsic, Colsic, sí, Colegio Colombiano de Ingeniería Clínica uh, workshop. But then in, in Rome, in the workshop uh, led by uh, Italian Association of Clinical Engineering and IFMB CED. Recently, uh, of course, uh, Tom Judd announced that this is something that will be developed and I celebrate very much because this, is, this has everything to do with the uh, application of the career. Mm -hmm. And um, I also um, want to highlight that IFMB Clinical Engineering Division has done a marvelous job, um, as well as uh, each of the associations and collaborators that um, participate in this great, great um, uh, division or, or a gathering of professionals. Um, so let's talk about COVID-19. Um, you shared a little bit about what's going on in Peru. Uh, my heart and prayers are with uh, each and every Peruvian brother that's you know struggling with this tough, tough situation that is not only affecting us, um, you know, health-wise, it's also affecting us economical-wise, um, mentally-wise, and, you know, there's a lot of things going on. And, well, I would like to know, on your opinion, and, and as a leader in, in the field, um, how do you think or how do you consider that clinical engineering professionals relate to the current uh, situation? So, how have we as clinical engineers have contributed to face this pandemic? Mm -hmm. let, me, let me respond to you uh, from a, a checklist uh, first. Uh, you think about the pandemic, yes, it's true. Nobody was ready. Nobody was aware about a pandemic. Uh, but if you think about a country which has huge gaps, unacceptable, really unacceptable terms for public health. And in addition, which have, I believe from the last, uh, at least seven years, budget, available budget to make the changes required. It is very hard to think that the pandemic uh, suddenly appear and observe the disaster. The disaster is not just because the pandemic in the case of Peru. The disaster is because before, with no need of a pandemic, the population 
the vulnerable population, even the neonatal population, have not the context they deserve. This is a fact, and this is a responsibility, of course, of our government, not this one, the last one, the last seven, eight governments. Saying this, any kind of change you may want to do in your country requires to be objective, requires to be rational, to analyze facts, to be able to describe the negative and positive aspects before any kind of change you would like to do. So let's take the checklist. I'm talking about equipment, health technology equipment. They were not, not just enough, in good conditions, inventories, availability, regulations, human resources, not just clinical engineers, of course, physicians, nurses, technicians. I'm thinking about not just salaries, I'm thinking about systems, management of them in a very good network that make them their work not just productive in ordinary circumstances, but also in emergency and disasters like the COVID-19. We practically um, are talking about the system and its component, and I think it's- I am talking about the component of the system, supplies, Exactly. Oxygen, uh, um, ventilators with uh, supplies in us, no, infrastructure, exactly. how many hospitals available. Most of all, I, I would just give in this last one a very little example, but, but clear example about what the situation is here, even the number of beds in emergency rooms available per hospital to, uh, to, to give attention, to give services to the uh, patients of COVID. This number, this information wasn't available for the government on time. You see? You see how much uh, negative the context is, was? This is changing, but uh, changing a bit too late. Yes, it, it seems that there's a lot of, of basic practices that we need to reinforce. Like, for example, um, what are the, for example, in Mexico, there's, there's this uh, debate on how the areas should be called. I mean, one, one, uh, one hospital calls it quirófano, uh, the other hospital calls it, uh, hospital calls it pabellón. Um, so it's, you know, it's confusing and, 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 and it's really a reflex that the result that we really need to emphasize on, on basic practices, the same thing is on the inventories. For example, if we call one device one thing and if we do call the device with the same name but with another type, I mean, it's a little confusing. And, and I get that, you know, in the macro scenario, we, we at the end, we don't have the numbers that we should have had you know, 10 years ago when H1N1 hit our, our you know, the world. And it's, it is really I mean, yeah, interesting. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree with your with your uh, um, insight. Uh, I I add the following. It may look like basic issues, but indeed they belong to the whole uh, the whole picture, which means health technology life cycle analysis. You will see two big uh, scopes: planning and management. In management, they are the acquisition and the maintenance and blah blah blah. blah. In the planning, they are. you see. Things should start with the correct point. And when you don't have the correct people, biomedical, clinical engineers in charge of the big picture in the terms and the issues that are part of their knowledge, things are not going to be, are, won't have the good, the good finish no matter with a pandemic or non-pandemic context. So I started with a checklist just to let you know how much is the, uh, ne how much negative is the context. But let's go back to your answer. Uh, what are the must uh, uh, skills under the COVID-19 pandemic here? The, the most important issues that should be addressed despite the situation. First, safety of the patient. Second, management of risk. Third, quality assurance. Health technology quality assurance. And third, excuse me, fourth, health technology assessment. These four are key, obligatory, urgent to be addressed. The challenge is to address them with these urgent issues remarked before. The challenge is address them when we have this increasing number of confirmed cases. The challenge is to address them because one of the characteristics of the Peruvian health system is still very young, young mothers. Now they are going to public hospitals to give the baby, not to have the babies. Some of them, many of them are infected of COVID. Many of them have no other option but going to the hospitals you are you have the responsible of the life of these young even girls mothers and the babies many of them under 500 grams very little babies luis with covid now there's a lot to be done and i think that clinical engineers have a big role in this so my question to that comment would be, how do you think clinical engineers uh, can help overcome these challenges? What can we do? Um, first of all, uh, partnerships. You should 
uh, in the case, I'm sure it's not just for Peru, it's for Argentina, as much as I know, hopefully for me, my passion uh, drove me uh, through other countries to learn, to exchange, to, to, to make some interventions as well. So this is for, for all of us. You should be able to deal with the making decision, decision actors in the, almost in all of the health organizations, the making decision actors are physicians. Some of them are chemical pharmaceuticals. Others are biologists. A few of them are just managers. No matter, as clinical engineer, as biomedical engineer, you should be able Luis, to talk in their language, which Where? means not be fancy, not be fashion, not be enthusiastic. Be able to show them that their topics of interest, their objectives from the arena of their profession will be achieved or better achieved or improved with your participation. And for that to happen, you need to prepare each meeting, reunion, or even a surprise a meeting you have with them in the middle of a hall. You should be ready to demonstrate that your intervention is not a disturb, it's a help. And I, I learned very much from Tom Judd and, and Yadin David from CED saying this, of course, I, I, I am so, so uh, thank you, thankful uh, for the amazing work that they've done over the years uh, for the profession. Uh, I learned from them that there's no sense to be angry, no sense to be frustrated. You are right. You have the right to be angry and frustrated, but those doesn't help. They don't help for you. If you want to change, you make the change. To make the change, you need to approach in a different way to the same stakeholders, even to the politicians, if you have the, the, the way to, to approach them. I learned from the site, uh, Luis, it works. It doesn't work before, because you know uh, your name is Rosanna or you're a woman or you, study, uh, you studied in US or in France. Doesn't matter at all. You have one opportunity to demonstrate you know what are you talking about. One opportunity to demonstrate you are really a contributor for their outcomes. You have it, you get it. It's a one-shot thing. It's, uh, you know, that minute of attention that you have with someone. And actually, right now that you mention it, I would like to ask you one more thing before we leave. That is, uh, you know, if you could talk to yourself five years ago, probably you were in another job, working on another project, or even in another country. So if you could talk to Rosanna five years ago, what would be an advice that you would give to yourself 
if you have the chance? Uh, actually, uh, I would like to be more aware about the value and the high impact of these three main topics. And saying this, I am not, uh, I am not saying the ones we talked about before are not important. All of them are important. All of them make the clinical engineer, a clinical engineer very valuable and, and able to deal with all the challenges. But uh, these three ones, I really would like to be more aware about their value and impact five years ago. Of course, now I am like swimming on them, uh, learning a lot uh, and being able to deal and, and apply it. Then. Every but now, this COVID-19 thing, we could live with the four topics every day, patient safety, risk management, yeah. QA and HTA, of course. Yeah, but I am going to add, to add three ones. I am going to add three ones that are really a very strong and strategic drivers, at, at least for me. They are, they were, and they are. Um, health technology system approach. That's why I, I wrote the book, Luis, the book in 2017. I didn't invent the, the, the topic. Of course, it, it was a fact before, but I did understood, understand the value and the um, impact and the sense in the career. So health technology systems approach is one. Second, management of the stakeholders. Of course, I'm talking about health technology stakeholders. High technology stakeholders, if you want, but management of the stakeholders. And the third one, some people doesn't like it, some people doesn't understand it. It's a nice driver, design thinking. Three of them are not a, it's not a recipe, it's not a tip. It's knowledge that you have to be able to apply and to uh, adjust and it demands your brain and your uh, encourage, uh, your courage and your empowerment, but they are very good drivers. I know that um, we, we should finish with some suggestions or uh, final uh, strong ideas to share with the audience. And first uh, to do it, let me uh, say thank you uh, for this invitation and this opportunity to contribute to not just to the career but to the outcomes that globally we are uh, always uh, addressing we will we have the same wish luis we all want better quality of health services we all want the people be satisfied with the quality of health systems. We want to be equitable. We want to be ethics. For me, this invitation has sense if this reunion helps somebody else to uh, think about it and improve what they are doing. The global community, not just Latin America, but with 
Central America, Latin America, Asia, Africa, and other countries. So my, my final message is um, embrace the career. Embrace the career. It has a lot of benefits, not just economic, but human uh, benefits. You will be able to transcend with or not the pandemic you will be able to transcend and that's a, that's the most important uh, objective of any other human being to be able to transcend you will be able to say also that your life was not just bright for your family and friends but for the people around you in the time you was in the practice. Well, very strong message and very motivational and way and a very nice way to end this uh, very good conversation with you, Rosanna. I am deeply honored to have you here at the show. I hope that this is not the last time that we uh, get, get a chance to, co to talk about uh, clinical engineering in the space. You are always welcome to join us here. And we also hope that, um, you know, listeners all over the world uh, enjoy the conversation. And if they have any questions or, or seek guidance from Rosanna, they can go to our podcast uh, website and get a hold of, of any materials that can help you um, also grow and also uh, contact Rosanna for further any notice. Luis, um, uh, Luis, let me let me say again uh, how much I appreciate your invitation, and give me just two seconds. Uh, one of the most important um, leaders, um, in addition to Yadin David and Tom Judd from CED IFMB, one of the most important leaders that was and is a strong reference in what I am doing and what I expect to keep doing is Adriana Velázquez from Mexico, an amazing woman, a terrific clinical engineer, but most of all, a wonderful, a wonderful human being. WHO is lucky to have such leader. And this is my way, a little way, of course, to say how much valuable she is for the global community of clinical engineers around the world. Thank you very much for being uh, today with us, Rosana. Uh, big, big hug to you in uh, Peru. Thank you.